All right, if you have your Bibles, let's go Hebrews uh, chapter 6. That's where we're going to be today. Um, last week, I, I, I'll start with this. Last week, we walked through a, I, I believe it was a difficult set of verses as the writer of Hebrews kind of steps in and challenges us not to be dull of hearing and uh, that we would strive toward maturity. And, and the hard part of those words are that they can... Uh, as reading them, they can they can put us on defense, uh, and we can try to make excuses for uh, areas of our lives where we know we should be growing, but we're really, if we're honest with ourselves, we're not really pursuing any of of that growth. and And instead of doing some some very necessary examining of our lives to see if we are striving towards uh, growth, what results is just a settling. Uh, for a stagnant faith, and eventually what happens with a stagnant faith is it becomes uh, really a boring faith. And and then we look at God, and we said this, you know, that you keep coming back to the table, uh, and you say, I'm tired of drinking milk, and God says, you don't have to be drinking milk anymore. You don't. In fact, the uh, the verses we went through, the, the writer tells us, hey, you know, everybody starts with milk, but you shouldn't stay there. And so the argument that we built was that there's a lot of us that, that, that we, we drink milk much longer than we should when, when steak is available to us, when, but we have to cut it up, and we have to chew it, and we can't expect someone else to do that. And we took, if you remember, we took a poll in the room, and we all said we would rather have steak than milk, right? Y'all remember that? Uh, and none of y'all brought me a steak this week. I'm just saying, and I think it's rude. Um, and so, so we, we tried to approach this understanding, though, um, covered with, with how the heart of God is for us. That really, even in the hard words that we find in those scriptures, uh, the intent here is not to destroy, but to build. And, and so where, where guilt or regret can lead us to read these words as harsh and crushing, uh, we want to read these words in a way, uh, in, in the sense of, of a good coach who's striving to get the most out of their team. So, so as the writer uh, comes in with this exhortation or this challenge uh, that we would grow, the, the effects of the gospel are more fruitful for the glory of God and for the benefit of others. And, and my prayer for us here at Merge uh, is that we would uh, take heed to these instructions for the very same reasons that that, that there are too, there are far too many of us, uh, both in this room and then just in the Christian church, uh, who have spent year who will say they have spent years with God but have not really made it past His online profile, uh, and and that they they know God but they're not trying to know Him any deeper, and because of that, they can't help those who are far from God find life in Christ since they've been unwilling to dig deeper past their own benefits of what God brings them. Uh, and, and, and so, so this, is, this is an issue because we are saved and we are lavished by the love of God so that we can be part of His workings in this world to, to speak truth and to speak life and to speak love into other people's lives. And so, so here's what we want to see this morning, okay? Uh, and I'm just going to give it to you first in case you nod off. That, that, that God is for you and He's making something beautiful. He's making something powerful 
out of every aspect of your life. Okay? Now, this isn't just like a, a cheerleader coming along saying, oh, God is pretty great. No, no, what I'm telling you is by the word of God, by his own word to you, that he is for you. He's making something beautiful and powerful out of every single aspect of your life as you allow him to do that. And so, so as, as we see this truth come to light, our desires to experiencing him deeper drives us towards maturity and so so where last week we we started with some hard words about hey it's time to grow up big boy right uh now what we find is how we are confirmed in that and god's role in that process of growing deeper and so so let's pray and then we'll get going father we come to you and we thank you that we can build our life upon the rock of your son and as we get to the end of our passage this morning, I pray that, that those words that we just sang would, would continue to come to our hearts and into our mouths. That you are building something incredible. That you are saying something powerful about our lives. And Father, we pray as we open up your word that through the power of your Holy Spirit that he would speak to us that we would experience more and more and more the love that you have for us and the love that you've expressed for us in your Son. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, Amen. All right, so, so God, God's purpose in this text is to press upon our minds and our hearts this morning um, His desire and His purpose for us to have Strong encouragement, not just to be encouraged, but to have strong encouragement to hold on to our hope that we have in him and not drift into false hopes offered by the world. This is this is what the author of Hebrews has been telling us for at least 12 weeks now, right? Uh, that he's come in and he says, listen, I want you to stay anchored to Christ. I want you to stay anchored to Christ. I don't want you to drift away from anything that this world is trying to entice you towards. Uh, and so, so we're going to see this more fully in a bit, but, but we, can, we can lay the groundwork for it by jumping into uh, verse 17. We're going to come back, but, but verse 17 and 18 kind of sets this stage. And so, Lawson, thanks, sir. So it says this, So when God desired, okay, so, so first off, right there, we hear something that God has desire. So, so when God desires, so now pay attention to what God desires here. When God desired to show more convincingly, okay? If you like to circle those two words, that's going to be really helpful. To show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise, which is his kids, okay? The unchangeable character of his promise. So, so when God desired to show us his unchangeable character, the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it. With an oath. So that by two unchangeable things, in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement. This is his desire for you. This is what God wants to work in your heart this morning through his word. To hold fast to the hope set before us. That's what he says. So, so God is here this morning, and by his word, he is working to bring this about. Strong encouragement to hold on to our hope 
in him so that we are not deceived and lured away into the fleeting and suicidal hopes offered by the world. It's a huge undertaking. Huge. And so, so, so we're going to see this. Uh, we're we're going to see uh, verse 13 begin with the word for or, or because, depending on your translation. And the writer's given support uh, basically for where we just went last week, where we ended in verses 11 and 12. So let's, let's kind of build some momentum as we go to verse 13. It says this in, in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 11. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of what? Hope until the end. So that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. So, so the aim of, of 11 and 12 uh, was the same as it is here. Um, that, that, that God wants you to have full assurance of hope. That, that when God looks at your faith, when God looks at your hope, He would see that it's not a weak or a flimsy hope. That it's a strong, full, confident hope. Lest you be sluggish or lest you be dull and begin to think that the Christian hope is not as real as the hopes offered by the world. Those are the two competing arguments that we have in our lives. And so, so the danger uh, this book warns against over and over again is that we would go the other direction. That, that, that we would not... That, so it says, don't be sluggish in the way you fight to keep your hope strong and vivid and compelling and, and appealing. So the question is, why? Well, it's because verse 12 says that through faith and patience that we inherit the promises. And we're going to get here uh, when we get to chapter 11 because we'll talk uh, in detail about what faith looks like. Uh, but chapter 11 will tell us that faith is the assurance of things hoped for. Hoped for. So, so our degree of hope matters a great deal when it comes to, to life with God. So, so drifting in the Christian life, as the author has been telling us, is deadly. That, that little by little, the Christian hope of glory and, and the greatness of eternal life with God and the preciousness of, of our rescue from hell and the forgiveness of our sins and the pleasures at God's right hand, that little by little, all of these things can begin to fade. And suddenly, you, you find yourself callous or you find yourself... Uh, really callous to spiritual reality that, that is one of the authors that I read this week says, all you can do is cry about the penalty, but not about the precious beauty of what has been lost. That we have been given this privilege to walk into the throne room of God with confidence because of Jesus. And we can give Him our entire life. We can give Him our entire hearts. And the writer says, if you're not careful, that heart can become hard. And the things that should um, draw you closer to him will actually cause you to drift away. And so, so God, is, God is working here in this text to, to keep that from happening for the heirs of the promise. That's what, that's what verses 13 through 20 are going to talk about today. That's, that's what we're kind of chewing on. So, so it's all about this strong encouragement that he wants us to have this morning to lay hold on the hope and not grow sluggish. So, so let's look at what God has done to give you strong encouragement this morning. There's, there's many things. There's too many things to, to write. But, I mean, like Lane has said, XFL starts today, so let's move it along. Um, and so, so let's, let's pray that our, that our hearts would receive 
this great Word of God to give us the soul-preserving uh, encouragement that we need. And so, so we start in, in verse 13, Lawson. For when God, okay, so that we're leading in from where we were to where we are now. Verse 13, for when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear by, he swore by himself saying, surely I will bless you and I will multiply you. Now, now the writer begins with his audience on common ground uh, that, that he talks about the authority of the Old Testament by referring to a promise and an oath that God makes with Abraham. Now, we don't have time to get there, but, but I'm going to tell you the promise and the oath and then I'm going to give you, well, I'll just give you the context first. Because okay? we'll find it in Genesis 20 and, and 20, 21 and 22. Uh, but what happens is, is God has made a promise to Abraham before his one son, uh, Isaac, is born. Right? And so, so he says, hey, I'm going to make a nation out of you. And he makes this promise long before the kid comes al- along and Abraham is super old. Uh, and then one day, as uh, God is speaking to Abraham, he says, I want you to offer your son and so it's a really bizarre scene if, you are real, if you're honest about it. Now, if you want to be all haughty-toddy and super spiritual, well, it's just all about faith. But this is weird to me that God said, hey, this one son that you have waited for 100 years, I want you to put him on the altar. And then the way the, the, the story is told to us, uh, at the very last minute, God provides a ram uh, and... Abraham doesn't have to offer his son. And so there's a promise that's said here after the fact. It says, Genesis 22, verses 16 and 17. It says, this is God speaking. By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you, Abraham, have done this and have not withheld your son, your, your only son. I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of the heavens and the sand that is on the seashore and your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemy. So, so the writer of Hebrews saw two things in this Old Testament set, uh, text. He, he saw a promise and he saw an oath. Okay, those are two important things that we see here. A promise and an oath. The promise was that Abraham would be blessed and that his descendants would multiply and would triumph over their enemies, and the oath is simply this, that by myself I have sworn, declares the Lord. And so, so God promises, and he takes an oath. And this is the, the, the Abrahamic covenant uh, that, that we find all the way through. There's, there's multiple covenants that God makes with his people. And so, so as the writer is telling us this, this kind of sets him to thinking about all the encouragement for hope that there is in this Old Testament text, these words that God uses. Namely, how far and wide-reaching this promise is to Abraham and how it affects our lives today. That that as Gentiles, which is what we are, unless you are of the Jewish lineage, uh, as Gentiles, we are given access as adopted sons and daughters into the family of God through faith. And secondly, we get to see how Abraham had only one hope in offering up his son, and it would simply be this, that God would graciously and miraculously raise him from the dead and fulfill his promise. We find that later, uh, I think it's in the book of Romans. No, actually, I think it's later in this book. Yeah, 
Let's just assume I'm right today. And if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. That, that was Abraham's faith, and that's why God confirmed the covenant and the promise with him and, and why he's the father of a multitude of, of nations. So, so it doesn't matter this morning whether you are a Jew or a Gentile. It doesn't matter what ethnic background you have. That, that what inherits the promise of Abraham is a humble and a desperate fleeing to God for refuge. This is what we're going to find out in verse 18 and why Jesus is so important for that. Um, and then holding fast to the hope that God gives freely to us who have trusted him. And so, so, so now we, back to what we said in, in Genesis chapter 22. The writer saw two things. He sees a promise and he sees an oath. And the promise is not just to Abraham, it's, it's also to us. And we find that in Hebrews 6 verse 17. Or we have it here? Yep. He um, says, So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise, the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. So, so the writer speaks of the heirs of the promise. These are, these are the ones who take refuge in God. These are the spiritual descendants of, of Abraham. And this is, this is you. And this is me if we trust him. And the promise is that we will be blessed. Now, let's be careful there. Because when we use a word like that, our temptation is to give God a lot of worldly expectations as to what that looks like. Right? Like, there's, there's guys like me that will get on TV and they will tell you what that blessing would look like. And they will tell you that if it's not, it's the greatest cop-out in all the world. Well, clearly you don't have enough faith. And so we need to be very honest about the blessings that God gives us, because He gives us great ones. He gives us the, these blessings of, of protection and prosperity. Now again, prosperity is a different word altogether. We don't have time to get there because the XFL is kicking off. Um, so when, when He promises this blessing, he, he means ultimate blessing forever and ever with God in eternity, forgiven, accepted, purified, glorified, capable of unspeakable joy, triumphant over all of our enemies, sin and guilt and shame and death and hell and Satan. This is God's promise. This is God's promise. And who are we to look at Him with contempt when He doesn't give us that job that we believe that He told us He would bless us with? That He says, I will remove your greatest enemies. I will protect you like a perfect father would. I will provide for you your every need, regardless that you're the one throwing the fit, kicking your feet because you say, I want to drink bleach. And he says, that'll kill you. But I really want it. No, you don't. You just think you do. So this is, this is great encouragement for this is, this is great for our encouragement that, that by faith we inherit this kind of future. But, but what, what caught the writer's eye in Genesis chapter 22, uh, verse 16, was, was not the content of the promise, but the oath that backs it up. By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord. So, so when God says, I will surely bless you, it's not just a promise, but it's a promise and an oath. And it's two things not just one. So verse 15, uh, Hebrews 6. And thus Abraham 
have waiting patiently obtained the promise for people, this is a helpful explanation, for people swear by something greater than themselves and in all their disputes an oath is final uh, for confirmation. So the writer asks himself, why? Like, why would God not only make a promise, but then confirm that promise with, with an oath? He certainly didn't have to in order to establish His Word. So why? And then we get the answer in verses 17 and 18. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of His purpose, He guaranteed it with an oath so that by two unchangeable things being the promise and the oath in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. So the encouragement is the encouragement of unshakable hope. That regardless of the circumstance or the outcome of any situation, that God has promised and given an oath to us of His blessing, of His presence. So how did he show how much encouragement of hope he wants us to have? Uh, John Piper said it this way, it it would be hard to imagine, many people do imagine, that that God were the kind of God who said, get out there, do what I tell you to do, stop thinking about whether you have hope or not, do what's right because it's right, and stop dwelling on the future. Sounds like my parenting technique, right? Get out there, do what I told you to do, right? That... It, it's so easy to imagine a God like that, he says, that, that we should be astonished that God is not like that. He is utterly committed to working for our hope. He insists that we be people of confident hope, not of worry and uncertainty. Uh, that, that he wants us to think about the future and to be totally confident and assured about how it's going to turn out. So, so, so he adds an oath and he, to this promise that he, and this sends the writer into orbit. He's just amazed by it. And he does what we should all do in the Bible. He, he reads it and he stops and he starts meditating on it. And he says in verse uh, 16, he says, he says, For people swear by something greater than themselves and in all their disputes an oath is final for con- uh, confirmation. So in other words, when you want to stress the validity of your promise, you pick out something of greater value than yourself. Right? It's why we are tempted to say things like, uh, I, I swear on the Bible. Right? It's why we go to court and we put our hand on the Bible and we swear. It's why we say, I, I, I swear on my mother's grave. Uh, or I, I swear to God and you swear by it. that On my mother's grave, I swear I did not say that or I did not do that. And so, so why do you swear on something great and valuable because what you're saying is in an oath you're saying if I'm proved to be false then they are false I'm attaching my actions to their reputation and that matters a great deal so the writer looks at the way God took this oath in in verse 13 and he says for when God made a promise to Abraham since he had no one greater uh, to sw- by whom to swear, he swore by himself. So, so do, do, you, do you see what God is doing here? That, that he was 
He was saying, I, I want to give my people strong encouragement so that when Bag preaches to them on February 9th, 2020, on the inaugural day of the XFL, um, I will add an oath to this promise. I will. I will add an oath to this promise and I will show them how much uh, I want to sure up their hope. So, 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 so what shall I swear by? And if I can take the luxury of trying to play the, in the mind of God, which is a dangerous game, what, what should I swear by? I, I could swear by the moon and the sun because those are great. I could, I could swear by this world that I created. I could, I could swear by the people of Israel who I love and who are the apple of my eye. I could, I could swear by all of the angels of heaven. Those, those guys are pretty great. But, but, but no, none of these is great enough to the level of encouragement and hope that I want my people to have. And understand this, all of those things are valuable to God. All of those things. But there is one thing He values and esteems above all the other things in this world. In fact, there, there's one reality that he is, he is less likely to dishonor and to shame than any other. There is, there is one person whose worth and honor and dignity and preciousness and greatness and beauty and reputation is more than all the other values combined. 10,000 times more. Namely, himself. He makes no... He's in no competition with anyone or anything else. And so he says, I want my people to have this strong encouragement to walk and to not drift away and to grow mature. And he says, I want them to understand the degree and, and to, the, to the level that I care for them. And so I'm going to make this promise to them. But in case they don't trust that my promise is true, I will enter into this oath with them. And he says, there's no one greater than me. So I swear it by myself. I mean for you to have so much confidence in me as, as it is possible for you to have. For if it were possible, it says in verse 13, he would have given us that. But so, so we're drawn. We're drawn to verse 18. And this, this imagery of fleeing to God for refuge. Which is going to draw us to Jesus in verses 19 and 20. So it says this in 18. I think it's the last half of it. We who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope that was set before us. We who have fled for refuge. And so, so this, this, this phrase draws us back to an Old Testament law. Uh, we find it really in a couple of places. Um, in, in Numbers 35, Joshua 20. Uh, and we, we talk about in, in our modern day uh, places called uh, sanctuary cities, right? Um, and so, so that's a biblical um, line. That's a biblical process, I should say. Uh, that there were, in the Old Testament, there were places called cities of refuge, uh, in fact, we've, again, in, in 30, Numbers 35, Joshua 20, God appointed six cities. Uh, three were on each side of the Jordan River. And those cities were designated for if a man, if a person accidentally murdered someone, uh, they could flee to this city and they could plead their case to the elders. And the elders would investigate 
uh, whether or not it was murder or if it was manslaughter, if it was just accidental death. Okay, so while that person was in that city, the uh, the family of the person who was killed could not come in and murder them back, which sounds like a civil way of doing life. But that person would stay in that city until the high priest died. And once the high priest died, he was free to go back to his hometown where he would be able to live out the rest of his days and the family couldn't avenge um, their family member. All right? Does that all make sense? Okay? So, so here's why this is important to us and this is what draws us to Jesus. Because we've been talking these last couple of weeks about him being our high priest, right? He's our great high priest. The only designated high priest as great high priest. And so we flee to him for refuge. Because we are, in our hearts, murderers. We are cheats. We are liars. And so, so the wickedness of man flees to God for refuge, and that is where we find our greatest protection. And now the good news for us is that we don't have to go back to our old life and our old town because we have a high priest who reigns eternally. So we don't have to go anywhere else but under the protection of his refuge. We don't have to go anywhere. And the longer we stay there, this is what the Bible tells us, the longer we get to stay there, the more we get to see of him, the more we get to see of him, the more we get to love him. And so, so we who have fled, and this is, this is why it's important to us, we've, we've fled to Jesus. He's our eternal refuge. As I preach, He will never die, and we have eternal salvation. that no avenger can touch us. No enemy either. So let's start wrapping this up. Verse 19. We have this as a sure and a steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek, which we'll get to him next week. That we have this as a sure and a steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place, enters into the Holy of Holies, where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So, so the writer, as, as a good coach, gives us a great gift by reminding us of our need to be anchored with our soul. He gives us a place to go. Because he's told us, hey, you're, you're dull, you're drinking milk, you're not trying to grow. And so he says, hey, we, we got to. We have to move past these elementary levels of doctrine with Jesus. We have to get further than that because you shouldn't be a nine-year-old still only drinking milk. It would be weird. So, so he says we got to grow from that. But, but the good news is he doesn't just say, hey, just grow. And you're like, well, I don't know how to do that. He tells us, you go to Jesus. He's the anchor of your soul. That the troubles and the temptations 
of this world. It throws our souls around far too often. And yet we have a sure and a steadfast anchor that stabilizes our souls amidst the waves of the world. That this, the promises of God are firm and they are secure enough to hold us steady in any circumstance, in any storm. So, so here, here's where we land this morning. That, that God's purpose in this text is to press upon our minds and our hearts this morning His desire for us to have strong encouragement, to hold on to our hope in Him and to not drift into false hopes offered by the world. And then He does this by giving us a promise and an oath that we have access to present and eternal hope. And then this draws us to Jesus who secures our place in God's family, who who makes it possible for us to not just have a meet and greet with the Father, but that we would be able to know Him intimately, to, to know Him deeper and deeper. And just when you think it, you, it can't get any better. It does. It does. And then you get to the next level and you say, I didn't think this could be any... I didn't know love could keep growing the way that it is. But it's, it's, it's inescapable how deep the well of God's love is. So this that we would learn more about His character and His holiness and His love, the ways perfect Heavenly Fathers can show. And, and this, in turn, should fuel our desire to live in a way that is glorifying to Him and a benefit to others. That's the way this all is supposed to play out. Our desire this week is to love God. Bye. Please stand with me. So we wrap up. Let me make a couple things available. If you need prayer this morning, we, we long to pray with you. Maybe it is time for you to say, hey, I, I need to move off of this milk. Maybe it is, hey, I've known God for a long time, but I have not, I have not felt hope for a while. And all we want to do is pray with you and encourage you. Maybe you've never asked Jesus into your heart. We believe He is the only way to restore the broken relationship uh, between you and the Father. But secondly, we believe He's the only way to peace and joy. And if that's you this morning, we want to encourage you to be bold, have courage, and let us walk with you. Let's pray. Father, I thank You for the love that You've You're allowing us to have for one another here. I thank you for the love that you've given me for our church. Father, I pray for us that we would have hope. That we would not just take these eight verses this morning and just move them along or check them off but that we would think about the significance of your promises and the significance of your covenant. We thank you that you are our, our place of great, uh, uh, where we can flee for refuge. 
that your name means something. And what you do is it's unreal. So Father, I pray we would be people who give you our whole hearts. We give you our footsteps, our hands, our lives. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray.